Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Something is missing. Aaron is missing. But then again, Aaron wasn't always pleasant to be around. And within milliseconds, I feel icky because I encounter a horrible debate of what's worse. My brother alive and yelling at me or my brother dead and me living without nonstop ongoing conflict. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jana DeCristofero. After over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, and adults in our grief support groups, we wanted to share what we've learned from them with the larger community. This podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to explore and talk about what matters to you most in grief. Today's episode is the second in a three-part series where we're talking with people about what it's like to grieve when you've had a complex or difficult or conflicted relationship with the person who died. This topic came to us from a listener, so thank you to whoever you were that wrote in. We really appreciate hearing what matters to you. And if any of you out there really want to have us talk about something, please send us an email um, at help at Dougie.org, and we'll do our best to get an episode up about that topic. So over the course of this three-part series, I spoke on the first one, episode 24, with Jenny, who was the wife and the, and the mother of three, and her recent ex-husband who had died, so talking about that relationship. And today I'm joined by Ashley. Thank you, Ashley, for being here. Hi. Um, and Ashley joins us to talk about um, the relationships that she had with her brother. So could you tell us a little bit, Ashley, about your story? Certainly. Um, my name is Ashley, and I've been attending the Young Adult Grief Group at the Dougie Center since March of 2014. Um, and I had always wanted to come to the Dougie Center because my dad died in 1994 of melanoma skin cancer, and I never had opportunities to talk it through as a kid. And so uh, when I found out about the Dougie Center, I decided that someday I would come and join in on a support group. And then my brother died in an avalanche accident in March of 2014, and that was the sign that I really did need to address uh, the long-term grief and, and now the, the most recent grief experience in my life. So I came here in part also because uh, my brother's death brought up a lot of um, very conflicting issues, issues that um, for me make my grief maybe unique and different just within my family uh, because of the dynamic and the relationship that we had as siblings. Can you tell us a little bit about what that relationship was that you had as brother and sister? Certainly. Um, the relationship we have, a lot of people wonder if it started because my dad died. My dad died when I was nine and it was when my brother Aaron was 11. And people think that because my dad died, my brother had to take a turn for the worst and he was suddenly really affected by the loss of his parent. And that's not totally false. He did, and I did too. We both were very impacted by the trauma of losing our dad. But he kind of always had 
um, a very different personality than me when we were little kids, toddlers, and then up until he died. Um, that to me was created a relationship where um, I would try to be his, his best friend, his favorite person. His, I wanted to be like his sidekick as a kid and maybe even into our high school teenage years and into our 20s. Kind and of a typical little sister following mm -hmm. her big brother around. I, w I wanted to be his best friend and was kind of getting always pushed away or cut back. And sometimes it got very physical and I was hurt sometimes. It was always very explosive verbally and there was no shortage of anger with him um, before my dad died, but also after. So uh, the relationship never really mended until a year and a half before he died, which I am grateful for. But um, yeah, so, so to sum up our relationship, there was um, me sort of walking on eggshells or my brother. I walked on those eggshells wanting to be that little sidekick, little sister, um, but then it would sort of fly in my face and I would uh, be in, a, in a, a scuffle with him verbally or like I said, physically, and it would always end poorly no matter how hard I tried. And it made me really sad. It made me feel very rejected. Uh, my mom, being a single parent, uh, was dealing with um, the loss of her husband and the financial and logistical ramifications of being a single mom suddenly. So um, there was a lot going on that she had to, she had to process herself as well as um, try to do the best she could. And she did a lot of great things for our relationship in that she kept us uh, very, she was very consistent with our lives after my dad died. But one of the things that never really got worked out was the relationship part of it all and how we were all grieving as a family. So I like to think that grief can bring people together um, but in our instance, it sort of, sort of kept us uh, at a distance from one another. So it intensified the conflicted relationship you already had before your dad died. Yeah, and, and the the um, one of the ripple effects was that I think I wanted my brother and I to bond over my dad's death all the time. I always wanted us to be closer because of it, and underneath all of the conflict that we did have throughout our relationship. I know that that bond was there, but we just never really got to talk a lot about it. Um, and I know we both had very, um, we had the common denominator and similar feelings of sadness and missing him and good memories of him and our dad being our idol and like our, our leader. So, um, and you wanted you guys to be able to connect and maybe a more transparent more obvious way about it and instead it was this like undercurrent that you could sense but couldn't get into it with with that conflict standing in the way absolutely and then you said just before he died about a year before he died things started to change what shifted things in your relationship how did they change they changed because the funny thing about being so in so much conflict with your sibling is that actually the people that knew us the best would say that we were very similar we were very very honest people, very direct with our friends and our family, um, very loyal, very hardworking, very scheduled, very uh, matter of fact. And and I'd guess busy, knowing what I know about you. Busy, yeah, <laughs> very busy, always, uh, whether it's with work or play, doing something. Um, when, when we'd say we'd be there for someone's 30th birthday party, we'll be there, you know, very to our word. And so we, we made a lot of commitments to other people, but we didn't commit a lot to each other. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting, too, because 
sometimes I'd watch my brother be loyal to other people and I'd think to myself, why isn't he loyal to me? Why doesn't he wish me happy birthday? Why are we in this conflict where he's so good to his friends but he's not good to me? Mm -hmm. Why don't they see the side of him that I see all the time? And vice versa, why can't I see that side of him that he shares with his friends? It seems like it could be pretty isolating if you're one of the few people who has this type of relationship with him and all his friends and his other people in his life are having such a different experience. It, it was very isolating and it of, of course was a wall between uh, the friends of my brother and me. The friends of my brother were not like him. You know, they were just kind of goofy guys and, and some nice, really nice girlfriends that he had too that were all wonderful people, but I felt like I couldn't be connected with them because he was in the middle of it and he was that, that big giant wall that the was obstacle. totally impenetrable. Um, so, so here you are, you're the same people, basically, yep. butting heads a lot. And the relationship took a turn for the better when something happened to me in my life. I, I, I'd been, something happened with um, a, an old romantic relationship where I felt very betrayed. And I kept returning to friends, um, and even my mom and other, other parts of my family, and everybody reacted to this betrayal that I felt with a very sort of lukewarm reaction. Some people were very empathetic, but a lot of people were very, I'm sorry this happened, Ashley, you have to move on. Um, I don't know what to tell you. And nobody kind of got what I felt this betrayal was. And I realized throughout feeling so shitty, can I say that word? <laughs> that um, the only person who would probably understand it would be my brother, because that's the only other really loyal and honest person that's not, not the only loyal person, honest person, but the only person who's loyal and honest, kind of like I am. Um, because to we such have a this, degree. Yeah, to such a degree. That, and we have this history of losing our dad, and so it, it explains it very well. So I went to him with this information. I explained the betrayal to him, and he listened to me. He didn't write me off. He gave me empathy. He didn't say a word for 40 minutes while I was telling him all the details of this story that I was very upset about. And he gave me some good advice, but it was not the tisk-tisk advice of an older brother. It was more the advice of an, a friend. And the advice he gave me was not, I know better than you. It was, Ashley, I think you should do this because it'd be better for you. Mm. And that meant a lot to me. Um, we were actually en route to a funeral in my family uh, for another young person who recently passed in my family. And so to be at a funeral, which we had obviously been at funerals together before, um, it was a very special reunion, and that was the first time we'd hugged genuinely. Um, when we got to our destination for this family event, he got out of the car, he walked around the front of the car, and he got and I got out and he gave me this hug that I had never felt so hugged like this in the longest time. And he was very tall, he was 6'5", and so the last person I remember hugging me like this would have been my dad, that tall like envelope of mm -hmm. arms around you. And um, my brother's birthday, his 30th birthday was three days later, and that was the first time I had called him to wish him happy birthday. My birthday was six days later. He called me and wished me a happy birthday for the first time. And from that point on, we texted all the time. We were calling each other. He asked me for advice on his website, and I'd help him with copy uh, for his, his new business that he was starting. And, so it was um, really a total breakthrough, total it was, change. It was, a, it was a breakthrough. It was a complete 180. And I took a risk asking him to listen to me because I could have been written off. I could have been received how I've been received with other 
times when I was looking for advice or, or some kind of support from a brother. And it just, it didn't go down like that. It went, it went very well. And we skied together over the holidays. We no longer had fights on the, um, we, we used to fight on Christmas Day, Christmas morning. I mean, talk about holiday traditions. What's supposed to be, yeah, the happiest time of the year. And we'd have a lot of conflict on the holidays. It just brings up so much. And that kind of stuff just didn't happen anymore. And um, I would text him while he was abroad for his work, wishing him to be safe. Um, he was a ski guide, so, you know, the risk of avalanches and all kinds of injuries were were there. And so I'd always wish him well and, and be very thankful and relieved when he'd come back home. Um, and I just want to make sure that it's clear that it was a breakthrough and it was a 180, but being around my brother was still really hard mm -hmm. because there was such a long history of conflict. It wasn't like that vanished completely. He could still, he was just as capable of exploding. He was just as capable of getting mad at me and making me feel small. And I still physically sort of have reflexes uh, around him. Um, when we were kids, up until I was probably 14, he was hitting me all the time. He would jab me, he would trip me, he would kick me, he would punch me, he would slap me, he would pinch me, he would, any kind of bad contact like that was what I always had around him. There was so you have the muscle memory, mm -hmm. even though you guys are getting along better, you're still kind of tensing and waiting for that. Yeah, I'm flinching around him all the time. So we're getting along and we're wishing each other happy birthday, but it was very hard for me to, to accept that things were different because my muscle, yeah, I was flinching and my reflexes when I just would brush paths with them in a hallway were thinking maybe I should be careful. Maybe he'll elbow me in the stomach like he used to. Of course he didn't, but I, I can't help it. But you carry there. those things mm -hmm. with you. So yeah. you're starting to reconnect. There's some lessening of the conflict, even though your body is still remembering a lot of it. And, and then he dies suddenly, unexpectedly. How would you characterize your grief um, based on that, on the history and the relationship that you shared? How did it affect your grief? It affected my grief with the anticipation of the very long journey ahead of us. Or, and when I say us, I mean my mom and me. Because when he was, it was suggested that he would die from his injuries, I, I remember thinking, oh no this is happening again. And I know what's to come and that made me feel really scared. And it made me feel like I was putting on a thousand pound backpack of, of something I'd have to carry around and every year I could maybe unload a pound, you know? And maybe after a thousand years, the pa I'll feel like myself again, mm -hmm. or maybe not. But I remember thinking, this is a repeat, this is like a broken record for my family, for my mom and for me. Like, here we go again. I have this imprint of the grief from my dad. And then given the uniqueness of the relationship with your brother, how has that played out in your emotions and your thoughts and your ways of dealing with the grief over his death? Well, I felt like I didn't get an outlet to talk about my grief with my dad. I never got a room to punch pillows. I never got a room to talk or to draw or to say things like, I am sad. Those that I did not grow up in an environment where that was happening. So for me to, when I, I, I did feel like I was going down a path of, oh no, I'm doing this again. It's a broken record. But I also remember thinking, I'm not doing it the same again. Mm. I'm not going to not talk about it. I'm not going to uh, not be honest or real with other people about it. And I, 
I promised myself that I would try to be hyper aware of how I'm feeling and keep that in check all the time and um, make it known that it's not, you know, I'm not sad, I'm grieving and really try to try to spell that out for people. And I, I realized that almost like you had more choice in how you were going to grieve as an adult. Exactly. I, and that's, yeah, that's how I felt. I felt I'm, I'm in control of my, of my f- ways of dealing with this or not dealing with it. And I'm not parented right now as much. You know, I still have my parent, but she is not going to be the one that says yes or no to these things. She's going to pretty much be out of it, and it's up to me. And I, I think I've taken a very proactive um, and proactive and dedicated path to making it a part of my life in a positive way, which is, which is talking about it. And that's, it sounds so simple and cliche to say, oh, I want to talk about it, but that's a huge step for me coming from a family where we didn't really talk about things. And when we tried to talk about your dead dad, it was met with a, let's think about the good times. Mm-hmm. And I wonder too, because I hear a lot of people talk about when someone dies, oftentimes their, their shadow side gets erased. Like we only talk about the good qualities. We only talk about the good, happy memories. And, and given your relationship with your brother, How's that been for you? Is there space in your life to talk about the conflict and the challenge? And, and how does that affect how people perceive you and your grief? It, well, firstly, it makes me feel pretty frustrated sometimes and very angry. I hear his friends, uh, they, they take their beer up and they cheers him for being the best man or the best person around. And I'm thinking to myself, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that is not the, the whole story. Yes, he was good at these things. Yes, he did wonderful things. And yes, he was a good friend. But anybody that knows my brother would know that he had issues, just like I have issues, and would know that um, those infiltrated his friendships outside of our family just as much as they affected our sibling relationship. So, But they're makes, not talking about it. No, and, and they, they definitely focus on the positive. They focus on what they loved about him. They focus on the good memories when I think about my brother, I, I, I do think about the good times that we had for a year and a half, but I also think about uh, the hard times as a kid and about, um, well, here's an example of what I remember. I, I, just so you know and understand that muscle memory reflex, when we were in the hospital in Alaska and my brother was in the hospital bed on ventilators and was very close to becoming declared legally dead, he had a fever at one point, so I, I got a, a damp rag and I, I wiped the beads of sweat off of his face. I um, hugged him, I kissed him on his forehead, I touched his arm, I rubbed his shoulder, I fell asleep in his bed the first night I got there. But every time I touched him, I was worried that he might wake up and say, like, get the hell away from me, what are you doing touching me? You know, And I, I thought, he's going to wake up and he'll be so mad that I'm giving him another kiss on the forehead. But... <laughs> I couldn't, but he didn't, and I, I probably would have given anything for him to for him bad. to wake up and be mad at me. Mm-hmm. But it was that was that's the conflict right there. It's the I wish you were alive, even if it does mean conflict. But you are dying, and that means less conflict for me in my life. But now I'm going to be saddled with a whole a whole another loss. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell us about the what's worse game, since we're kind of going in that direction that sure. you play sometimes in your head. Sure. Um, so I I. I have defined this experience, what I just described as, it's an example of the what's worse scenarios. And I made this up um, earlier this year because I was trying to describe to my brother's best friend about 
why I needed space from him because he thought that I was avoiding him and he could sense that there was space being created. And I explained to him that I had basically OD'd on my brother's friends for the time being. Because every time I get around my brother's friends, they are drinking and smoking and they're doing all these things that I do not use or do to deal with grief or to help me with my feelings. So um, one of the what's worse scenarios is like, it's, a, it's like a realization of you thinking about what you have and what you don't have and what's worse. So a, an example is, what's worse, my brother is alive but yelling at me all the time and I'm living in all this conflict or he's dead and I don't have to have someone yelling at me or exploding at me on Christmas. You know, that's a really icky feeling to have and it's very, it makes me feel flawed. It makes me feel like, Guilty um, in some way. It makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel like I'm not treasuring his memory and I am not giving him credit for the positive things that he did bring to the world. But that is what hits me in a millisecond. It's not, it doesn't even hit, hit me in, in the long time it took me to explain what that is. It hits me over the head and it's just a quick thought. And then it, it might hit me and then it might go fleeting away. Another example is when I am with my brother's friends and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're saying cheers to Aaron and all of that. They, they are reminding me that all the years that I did have conflict with my brother, they either didn't have the courage or the interest um, or they felt like they couldn't break through to invite me to a Halloween party or to a New Year's party or to a, a camping trip or whatever. Or they felt like my brother was too much of a barrier. So should I feel thankful that they are now inviting me and now I have 15 new drunk friends to get so the what's worse is is it better that I have a brother but none of these friends and they don't have the courage or interest to invite me along or what's worse that I don't have my brother but I now have 15 new friends to get drunk with if I wanted to so it's like getting this whole new community that you didn't have access to when your brother was alive Mm -hmm. and um, the other really a difficult challenge for me around them is just that they are living in praise of him and I find it very hard to get real with them and um, sometimes it happens one-on-one and they get pretty emotional about it but um, a lot of them really love to throw the positive spin on things which to me is not helpful so one of the things I did um, this what's worse scenario which I described as pretty icky one of the things I did to help help address it was to set boundaries And so I told myself with certain people or certain events or venues that I wouldn't hang out with people or I wouldn't attend and I would say no sometimes with the objective to heal myself or heal this one part or stage of grief that I'm in and that when I'm more healed, then I'll be in a place to go and maybe be less judgmental against them. Maybe think it's okay that they're cheersing him because I've dealt with what I've dealt Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. It'll be less... um aggravating for you if you are in a different place of, I don't know if peace is the right word, but a new relationship with yourself with that. So it sounds like setting boundaries is something you've learned that's been helpful in this situation. Is there anything else that you've learned for just navigating what sounds like a lot of just cognitive dissonance? You know, that like, I loved my brother, but this was really hard and we were connected, but this was really challenging. How do you kind of deal with those two different uh, states in your head at the same time? Well, I, I just realized last week, because I had, a, last week was my brother's 33rd birthday, and yesterday was my 31st birthday, and I realized that um, 
and having a really, really difficult time with his birthday. I think most birthdays for my, my dad, I've posted something on Facebook saying, happy birthday, dad, or something. And I was so sad last week that I couldn't even do that. I didn't even go, and I saw something posted on Facebook. It was somebody who had posted a picture of him with my brother at the Weed California sign, and they were doing the, the like, party, mm. like, we're smoking weed in Weed California, ha this joke that I think teenagers love to... There's a thousand th of those photos. Exactly, <laughs> there's like, we're in Weed California, and so I saw that, and I'm thinking, that is exactly why I'm not hanging around that person, because that is not the memory I have of my brother, mm. and that's not real or true to the relationship I have with my brother or the grief, so... It's so, hard to find places and people who can reflect back to you mm -hmm. the relationship you did have and what your grief is like. Right. So um, your question was... Well, just wondering of like, how do you navigate that for yourself? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I realized last week, and I th I've heard this expression, I don't know how many times, but I've never applied it to me ever in my entire life. But my mom and I, and especially me, we have our good days and we have our bad days. And how many times have you heard someone say that? Mm -hmm. It's common, but that's really what it is. It's that sometimes it just is by chance you have a good day. And sometimes it's by chance that you are hit over the head with, you know, for lack of a better word, an avalanche of uh, really hard visuals, memories, sounds, um, interactions. And I, I deal by reaching out. Um, Connecting and, with other people. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is a while ago, but on the year anniversary of my brother's death earlier this year in March, I made a very specific call to action for myself. I emailed people that I know love to go karaoke. <laughs> and I wrote them and I said, next week is a, a sad week. It's a hard week for my mom and me. I refuse to be at home alone on that day. I would like to go karaoke. And I think three of like the eight friends I invited wrote back and they couldn't make it, but they said, I am so glad that you just said it you said that I don't want to be sad. And that's the kind of stuff that I do is that when I know something will be hard, I don't put a positive spin on it, but I, I do, I was singing in that karaoke booth that night on the one year anniversary of my brother's death, thinking about him. And I wasn't thinking there, just toasting him or saying how great he was. I was singing happy songs, sad songs, funny songs, you know, 80s ballads into a microphone. And that was just the channeling of the, that really hard day. Um, and capturing kind of the full spectrum of him and, and your connection with him right. through 80s pop songs. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't have a... Um, he, he didn't like singing necessarily. It wasn't something we did together. It wasn't special like that. It was a very selfish thing to do. It was a very like, this is, a, this is something I know I can do and, and it will produce happy feelings. It'll produce mm -hmm. endorphins and that's maybe the, the self-medication like I need for that, that one day. Um, so setting boundaries with others and for yourself in a sense of like what, what works for me and getting really clear about that. Mm -hmm. So boundaries and also um, I guess that would be a goal. So, and I feel like this, the one thing I'm picking up on with dealing with my brother being gone and looking back on my dad um, and all of the 20 years of, of uh, grieving him is one thing that's coming to mind is I'm really more aware of the anticipation of certain things. I'm more aware of the anticipation of the death anniversary, of the birthday, of the day of the accident, of the day that we reconciled, like all these dates I really cling to and I'm very aware, I'm hyper aware of them. And um, I've picked up on in the grief support group among others and just with myself that sometimes the anticipation of those dates 
is way worse than the actual day. Mm -hmm. So it was the day before my brother's birthday that was really hard. The day itself was actually pretty normal. Um, the day after was actually hard, but the day was fine. So I'm, I'm trying to be hyper aware of, of that anticipation and say to myself, this is just anticipation, Ashley. It's just his birthday. You know, it's hard, but this is the anticipation you're feeling. And just saying those things out loud or thinking them and being aware enough and experienced enough to know that, that that's what I'm feeling just makes me feel better. So mm -hmm. it took a long time to realize that though. And, uh, when you lose somebody, that's not what comes to mind. But the fact that I can say, you're feeling like shit because you're anticipating his birthday just feels better to say that. Right. It's like calming yourself down by acknowledging what's happening so you don't feel so overwhelmed by it. It's like I'm a baby, a baby self-soothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashley, I really want to thank you for being here on the episode today. Is there any last things you'd like to share? Um, I would just like to say that... Um, regardless of what happened with my relationship with my brother and how, however conflicted my feelings are, however challenging or tough the, the days go, I still do wish he was here. Um, I would rather have him than his 15 drunk friends, you know, bottom line. And even if we did have a really difficult, challenging relationship, it was still hard to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes what makes me feel like the most human in my grief. I can get very practical and pragmatic and clinical with my, my grief. But when I think back and think about how no matter what happened between us, the fact that it was still hard to say goodbye, that makes me feel like there was something there and that I, I do miss my brother and I do wish he was here. So it really drops you into your heart of remembering that and making you human in your grief. Yep. Thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing with me and for sharing with our listeners. And thanks to everyone out there for joining us for this episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. If you'd like to listen to past episodes or learn more about our organization, you can find us at dougy.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And as we mentioned earlier, if you have any ideas for topics, questions, things you just want to hear us talk about on this podcast, please send us an email at help at dougie.org. And just stick podcast somewhere in the subject line so we can find it. Thanks for listening.